Welcome to a life well lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Ken Olette, CPM Certified Portfolio Manager and Founder of Orca Wealth Management. In this podcast, he will provide some clarity in setting goals needed to build, preserve, and transfer wealth and overcome some of life's financial obstacles. Ken provides actionable steps to help you plan through your financial ups and downs in a way everyone can understand. Join us on this journey where Ken will explore many financial avenues, drawing from his three decades of experience in helping others avoid risking a lifetime's worth of work and savings by not having a plan and a strategy in place. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to A Life Well Lived with Ken Olette. Ken, how are you today? I am great. Happy St. Patty's Day. St. Patty's Day. I, I am wearing green, although I won't disclose where it's at. Huh? Oh, like in the Irish. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's my socks. I'll just say it. It's my socks. Anyway, all right. We are, yeah, it is St. Patrick's Day. We are going to be talking about something that is is timely right now and also pretty much any time. And you told me we're going to be talking about oil and war. We know that oil is going to be here for quite some time. I know that we're trying to move away from oil in a lot of different areas of the market. But bottom line is that there's too many things that still run on oil and gas that it's not like it's going to go away in the next couple months. Um, yeah, yeah, and wars sure. come and go. Right now we're in the middle of a hellacious war with, you know, Russia is has invaded Ukraine. We know that. We hope by the time you hear this listener that it is over and people are living better lives, but we don't know. You know, this you're probably listening to this around tax day, which is its own war in and of itself here, <laughs> you know, having to pay those taxes. But we, this is vitally important. And I know that you're going to really dive into this, Ken. Where do we even start with a subject like this? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. I don't know if you've driven anywhere in the last week, you've probably seen it, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sign on the road that that makes your jaw drop the one that makes you slam on your brakes and exclaim what on earth is going on i think that everybody i talked to my clients about it or myself just i flew down because we have office in north carolina and tampa and so i was flying back from from north carolina and i fueled up my airplane and it was 525 dollars to fill up the plane one way Mm. And so, I mean, if that doesn't take your breath away, wow, yeah. And so, how I was many gallons about, is that? That was eighty-five gallons. Oh, Jimmy Christmas! And I was complaining because I've, I've got a Dodge Ram that has a Hemi, and I love it, and I drive it like it has a Hemi. I've kind of had <laughs> to make some different decisions. I'm driving my wife's Nissan a lot more. She's got a nice little Nissan car that's much better on gas, but. Man, I love to hear that Hemi, but not as it's ticking at the gas pump because it was about one hundred and ten yeah. bucks to fill it the other day, and I'm just like, oh. Oh, yeah. I know. And so I had a conversation with my wife when I landed. I'm, you know, Allegiant flies direct for 33 bucks. Oh. So, yeah. I mean, the Uber ride's more expensive than the plane ride, right? Yeah. From the airport. I think that a lot of people are going to have to make some decisions based off these oil prices yeah. going up and inflation. Are these other things worth it to pay for? And so that's kind of the, what we're going to talk about today. And you're sprinkling a little inflation in there, but these oil prices have risen at a historic rate. And it's just been brutal. And I think most folks are kind of just pulling their hair out, wondering why is this happening? What? Why did it happen so quickly? I've gotten lots of questions from clients about it. So, you know, hopefully we can answer some of those today. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, let me start off with a question because a lot of people are wondering, is there any relief in sight? I was listening to a couple of gentlemen speak the other day about like the Keystone Pipeline, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It was shut down. But even if it hadn't been shut down it still wouldn't have been ready by now. And it, it would still have been a year off. Now, obviously, that's 
much farther because it, you know, the work stopped on it and everything, but are there any things happening that you know of that are going to give us any type of relief? I know that they've kind of released some oil from reserves and this whole Russia thing that there is a lot of concern about where we're going to be getting oil. Other countries are going to be getting oil and when this the price hikes are going to stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think if we took, if we can just take a step back real quickly and just kind of answer why oil prices are so high right now. A lot of people, a lot of people don't really realize, you know, what are the fundamentals of why is it the war in Ukraine? Is it is it the policy decisions in 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 Washington? Is it what is it that's causing these oil prices? And I think the quick and simple answer is yes, it is. Due to the recent run up is due to the war in Ukraine. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but if we dive a little bit deeper into that. The price of oil has always largely been determined by a triade of factors, right? Supply and demand uh, and speculation. As you know, the law of supply and demand states that when the supply of oil decreases, but the demand for it does not, prices will what? They'll go up, mm-hmm. right? It's just like anything. And so I think that before even we went through this crisis with Russia invading Ukraine, we were already on the low side of supply in oil, right? Because we went through covid we went through the pandemic. A lot of the refiners kind of backed their production up. We were we're normally around 100 million barrels a day, and I think we got down to 65 to 80 million barrels a day. It doesn't sound like much, but 20 to 25 percent, a 30 percent decrease in the amount, and then all of a sudden you get that demand that picks up, it becomes a problem. Mm. So, I think what we're seeing now is to just to your point about the the pipeline. It we're trying to ramp up production, but it's Demand is going up, and if you know anything about the price of oil, it's basically a lot of the speculators speculate and traders and things of that nature set the price of oil. And then there's something called the OPEC cartel, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that basically price fixes. So, what's their incentive to to have prices low when demand is high? Yeah. There's none. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah, absolutely. They want to get as much money as they possibly can. So now, you know, the U.S. and the other countries are saying, hey, can you open up that spigot a little more? But they don't want to drive down prices, so they don't have a real incentive to do so. Let me ask you this, because this is what I just can't fathom, is April of 2020, mm-hmm. people were paying other people to take the oil because oil fell like I think it was almost $38 negative per barrel. Yeah. I don't get that. I just don't understand how is that possible that there was so much oil just two years ago, I mean, almost two years to the date, mm-hmm. that they were having to pay others to take barrels of oil. And now I don't even know what oil is today, but it's well over $100. I mean, it's just going up. Yeah. Well, we uh, everybody worries about Russia being kind of the pipeline being shut off there. But, you know, really, they're number three. The U.S., by and large, was number one. Mm-hmm. We were a net exporter of, of oil and gas back then, two years ago. And so when this pandemic happened, everybody just shut off production. So you're right. We were we, Before the pandemic, we were kicking out a lot of oil. Mm-hmm. The U.S. was net exporting a lot of oil. We were, I don't want to say awash in the stuff, but there was also a fear that people were, as you alluded to earlier, that oil wasn't going to be as used as much in the future. So the pricing was under pressure. It just, there was a lot of things coming to a head. And then this pandemic hit, which then, you know, constrained everything. And then they just shut everything off. But mm-hmm. you're right before we it was great guns. Everybody was producing. It was, it was out there and, and the pricing was much, much lower. Yeah. That's just crazy how that works. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. So it, obviously, you know, higher oil prices lead right to higher gas prices. 
right? And, yeah. and I, I would assume that that's probably, again, why in 2020 that oil dropped like it did because so many people weren't going to work. They weren't using gasoline. They weren't. I mean, we were all in lockdown. And so I'm assuming that that played a big factor in it. We still have a lot of people that aren't commuting to work. They're working from home. But there's mm-hmm. a lot more cars on the road than there were two years ago. We know that. So, yep. I mean, obviously that leads to higher gas prices. Does it affect other areas as well? Yeah, yeah. Oil prices lead to higher gas prices. We know that. But the price of gas is also determined by many factors. We know that supply and demand is number one, Mm -hmm. but also taxes, transportation costs, to name a few. But the largest portion of the price you pay at the pull puts it around 55% is when oil prices rise, companies that refine it into gasoline must spend more. So they got to recoup these costs. And what they do is they pass it along to the customer Mm -hmm. at the gas pump. And so that that's a technical answer why that happens. And, you know, as these oil prices rise, we're going to see gasoline prices kind of not move simultaneously. They have a little bit of a lag. And when you, and I always tell people, I was having this conversation with a client the other day and he's, you know, what can we do about these got a fleet of trucks, right? That he, so fuel costs are a large portion of what their expenses are on Mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis. And so I did a little research on the side for him and I, I said, well, there are a few things you can do. And these are kind of crazy, but it's best to save money on gas. There's a couple of things that consumer the consumer can do. Number one is you fill up early in the morning. Mm-hmm. If you can believe it, gas prices sometimes rise as the days goes on. Right? Fill up on Mondays. One survey found that gas tends to be cheapest on Mondays in many states. Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday tend to be the most expensive. Hmm. So fill up your car on Mondays early in the morning. Right? And then there's these great free apps that are around that will show you the cheapest fuel around in your town um so there's there are some things we can do proactively and i pass that along to him about his fleet of cars so hopefully you know you can save five six seven cents a gallon it all adds up yeah absolutely and as as we get into to summertime i've also heard that fueling early morning as early as you can while it's cooler actually Mm -hmm. saves gasoline because when it's (laughs) hotter it vapors or the gas vaporizes more or whatever you want to call that you actually get more gas in your tank when it's cooler out, when it's hot in summertime. So uh, makes sense. I'm going for it. Yeah. Hey, I'll try anything at this point. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> What's that? Oh man. So speaking of clients, I mean, you brought up a client that, you know, has obviously he uses a fleet for his work. What are other clients doing? I mean, are you seeing some clients pull back when it comes to maybe just their overall spending or their travel or, or just kind of with inflation? I don't want to dive off the deep end here on inflation, but because mm-hmm. of that, it's just one of the trickle effects of it. Are you seeing some changes that they're making? Well, I think I haven't seen physically because there's a lot of pent up demand. People have, they want to travel, they want to do things. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's just caused a, maybe a little bit of a pause because the market has been so volatile lately as a reaction to this inflationary pressure, which oil is a big, big part of, right? Because energy mm-hmm. costs constitute a pretty good portion of everybody's budget. And what people don't realize is that oil, when it goes up, it's not just what you put in your tank, right? It's the, it's the diesel trucks at all the transportation and things of that nature that transport goods to the grocery store to get the stuff off the boat to the manufacturer too. So it's all of this, it's an inner, and then you can go as far as into petrochemicals too, right? So everything that we use, that's a chemical, whether it be a polyester shirt or anything, these are all predicated on energy prices too. So when you look and you go to the store, and I think the inflationary data that came out was 
we're running about 8%, 8 to 10% inflation on an annualized basis right now. That means that you go to buy a shirt or you buy whatever you're going to buy, oil and everything else is is causing that to go up in price. And so it, I don't know that it's making people stop. I, my clients have not said, you know, we're not going to go on that trip or we're going to postpone that yet. But I think it's got them to pause a little bit on maybe making larger purchases down the road. Okay. I think that that's more than just canceling anything or doing anything like that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I never even thought about until you just brought it up is that, again, there are so many things that are made from oil, including plastics. Mm-hmm. A lot of plastics still are. Um, mm-hmm. So does anybody buy anything with plastic in it? Yeah. <laughs> Everything we know we have at this point has some sort of plastic in it to make it lighter, more transportable, all those things. So those are more long-term effects. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything that the U.S. can do about this? I mean, because you talked a little bit about the different possibilities as far as ramping up production, but from what I've heard, ramping up production, you know, that somebody was speaking on the radio the other day about the leases that are out there for mm-hmm. oil, right? Well, those leases... That just means that it's a drilling site. They haven't even drilled it yet, right? Yeah, that's just the lease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the lease is available for it, and so it doesn't. That's going to help in the next six months because of the entire process it takes to drill the hole and find the oil and yada yada yada. Is there anything else that the U.S. can do about this? Well, in truth, not much, right? Yeah. At least not directly. One of the biggest things. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that are done that are kind of window dressing, right? So the president announced that he's going to, the strategic oil reserve, he's going to release some of that. Well, that's, it's not even a day's use. And then you have to remember that oil has to be replaced. So that, that oil is there for, in case we were to get shut off from all oil, mm-hmm. we would have some form of reserve and it's not much. So that doesn't do anything. It, there's, you know, they, maybe they could reduce the taxation or something on maybe a tax holiday if it gets too bad on because the taxes in the price of a gas as you know they go to or there's a big part of that goes towards road building and things of that nature mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so maybe they could provide some leeway there but on a direct basis there's no there's nothing really they can do except ramp up production here and that would take as you said you know a year down the road yeah where we would see any you know, and by then we might be washing it again, and, and you know mm-hmm. you've got too much floating around. So, yeah, there's just not much that the government or that we can do. There's just not much. All right. Well, you spoke about you know obviously the higher price of oil means higher price of gas. Higher price of gas means higher price of goods mm-hmm. and services because of vehicles needing to drive that around. Are there any other? ways that the higher prices of oil affect the economy besides those couple that we've spoken about already? Well, I think it's more of a psychological factor than anything else. You know, people like to lay blame when it comes to oil prices that it's this administration or that it's that administration. It's more of a cyclical thing. You know, I remember I used to talk with clients back in the day and it seemed like whenever the Detroit was gearing up and making so much money on SUVs, it was always the top of the oil cycle or the oil was really cheap right and so mm-hmm. then oil prices would rise and then they would get rid of their suvs and start making all these really really fuel efficient cars but as soon as that oil price went down they would start making those suvs because they were the higher margin vehicle yeah. and, and so this is something we've dealt with for eons it feels like but this one feels a little bit different in that it's coupled with this inflationary boogeyman and, and that gives you a reminiscence of the 70s where, you know, I don't know, it probably, I mean, I'm sure a lot of my clients can remember, but I remember as a kid standing in line and you could only get one fill up, right? Where you'd take a, 
you take one of those five gallon things in the back of your pickup and they would give you a fill up and you could fill up one five gallon tank and you had to wait in line to get gas and so I think that some people have that in their minds, and then we're seeing this oil with inflation. And like I said, it's just psychologically, when I'm talking to my clients, it just, it, you feel like there's an air of a little bit of pessimism around that. And, uh, and that can be disconcerting. You know, it causes a little bit of anxiousness, I think. Yeah. All right. So that leads me to my next question. What should the investor do or what are you recommending that your clients do in this situation as as always you should have a plan in place you should have something a policy statement a plan that that kind of looks at if these if these type of scenarios happen we, you know as we've spoken some other podcasts we've always done what we call fire drills if we get into an inflationary period if we get into a high period of, of energy costs and things of that nature what will it look like for our portfolio and what would it look like for your spending habits and that's what we try to do is and that's what i'm doing now is i'm having these conversations with clients that say look you watch the news you think the world's ending it looks real bad it looks like we're going to world war three and mm-hmm. gas is going to be ten dollars a gallon i mean inflation you're not going to be able to to afford a chicken dinner the way they make it sound but the reality is is that when these things it looks darkest it looks it's a darkest before dawn and that's what we're kind of we're kind of seeing the, that right now but the plans have done the back testing on these things and so that should and it does it just reduces the anxiety i believe yeah i would assume so but those without a plan yeah so well, <laughs> yeah if you don't have a plan then you're you then you're kind of worried about okay how, what do my assets look like? How are they going to do? How are they going to perform if we go into a prolonged three to five percent or three to five year cycle of high inflation? You know, am I positioned correctly? They should hopefully, if you're an investor and these are your serious assets that you have for retirement, you've you had some answers to those questions prior to this. If not, they need to drop everything they're doing and get some answers on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm talking to my kids, right, about this, mm-hmm. and both of them are very young at this point. Uh, my daughter actually just changed jobs not too long ago, and it's her first job that she's got a 401k now, and mm-hmm. she's got health insurance and all that. She's Actually, I think she's still under us because she's under 26, but she has those things, and she's making more money with this job. But mm-hmm. I just had to have a frank conversation with her because she's never lived through anything like that. She's never seen gas go this high, or at least when she was little, when the gas did go higher quite a while ago, she just didn't care and didn't know it because <laughs> right. mom and dad were paying for it, right? <laughs> sure. But those are the types of things I'm telling her. Like, I know that you love the online shopping, and she's always been very, very good with her money. It's, she doesn't go out and spend it all, but I just had to warn her a little bit. Look, it may be time to just set a little bit more aside than you do on a normal monthly basis, which she already does, which she's already a great saver. But I said, just a little bit more because it, it may get to the point where gas goes up another dollar mm-hmm. in the next year or whatever that could be. How much is that going to affect what your just normal budget is? And so if you start saving just a little bit more now, then that can help out. And I know that folks that you're talking to aren't exactly in that situation. They're not 22 years old and they're not you know having their first job. But is that something that that people should be looking at is just, I'm sure that you counsel people, if you will, or advise that people have an emergency fund for those things yep. that are emergencies. Are you Definitely. telling them to boost that a little bit more? Are you telling them to, you know, just be, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, because the, and then invariably these costs will have an effect on the market. So we just had the federal reserve raise rate, Yeah, you know, and we've got the, the stats now are about $300 a month in additional costs to the average person. And I think that those are going to rise to about three fifty to four hundred a month. People need you need six to eight to nine months. I would even say nine months as a reserve, mm-hmm. just in cash as your safety net that you can that you don't have to liquidate an asset because if you had to go in there and use that money to provide for something, 
you would pro- it would probably be a time when either we were in a recession or there was something going on where you needed to access those funds. And that would probably be a not a very good time to withdraw from the market because you don't want to sell something at a low. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you want to have that safety net and those funds put aside just for those emergency occasions that you may need it. And yeah, and I, I've gone so far as particular point in the market to have 15, 16 months worth of money put aside, yeah. just depending on the client. Yeah, that just makes common sense and it's prudent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that we can't speculate on war and what's going on with the war when this is released, but we know that obviously that's had a huge effect. I want to go back to something that you you know, were talking about just a moment ago. Your clients, obviously, you've gone through a plan. Uh, but mm-hmm. for those that don't, and we spoke about those folks as well, they don't have a plan or maybe they're just not as confident in the plan they've got, whether they're working with somebody currently or they worked with somebody 10 years ago and they just haven't heard from them. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you're very open to the conversation. How do they get a hold of you? How do they reach out to you and just say, hey, can you take a look and just make sure that, you know, for everything that we know and everything that we don't know, which is a great question, <laughs> am right. I doing okay? Yeah. Right. I think people just want to know, am I doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the, the first steps is just recognizing that maybe a second set of eyes, a second opinion is worthwhile. I mean, you, you wouldn't go into a major surgery without getting a second opinion from a doctor. I mean, you yeah. certainly wouldn't do that. So why would you go into a period of high inflation, high uncertainty, high volatility in this market without getting a second opinion to say, hey, look, here's what I'm doing now. What does it look like to you? Yeah. It costs you nothing to do that. But it just would boggle my mind how somebody wouldn't want to, with their life savings, which is so important, and we're going through such a precarious period, why you wouldn't consider having a second opinion on what your process, your investments, how they'll hold up. So the way anybody can reach us is big on education. And we try to, because I think that maybe my client would look at a second opinion if Mm -hmm. if some, because I ask others to look at a second opinion. So I always want to make sure that we are bulletproof in terms of educating our clients and an educated client is a less anxious client. So we are on every single social media outlet. So we try to put out, you know, daily news on there of what our thoughts are on the market and things of that nature. We also do these podcasts, we do videos, we do webinars, we do in live event seminars, but they can all be they can all be found through our website, which is www.orcawealth.com. So all right. Fantastic. Ken, thank you so much for your time today. It's always a pleasure and just always fun. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed it and enjoy St. Patty's Day. Oh, yeah. I definitely will. And our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to A Life Well Lived with Ken Olette, founder of Orca Wealth Management. And if you think about that for just one minute, A Life Well Lived. It's a great name for a podcast, but really, it's a life well lived no matter what's going on. Oil prices, wars, things like that. It's not just life well lived when things are going well it's all the time. And that, that's what Ken and his team are helping people do, trying to get people to that point where they can say, you know what, this is a life well lived. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Ken comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Orca Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to A Life Well Lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Kinolet CPM. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Orca Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualifying financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Orca Wealth Management LLC does not provide legal or tax advice. Clients should seek the advice of a qualified attorney or accountant as necessary.